Bain and Fitz, the podcast. The strategy for building a successful NFL team feels like it's changed in the last few years. You'll go all in. You'll give up whatever it takes to win a Super Bowl right now. We watched the Buccaneers do it a few years ago. We watched the Rams do it last year. We may be watching the 49ers attempt to do it right now. And the question we always ask when that happens is, what will make it worth it? Is a Super Bowl run worth it? Well, what if two Super Bowl champions are having to answer that question already? Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. I'm Jason Fitz flying solo. You can chime in, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Let me say this loudly and clearly. I'm out on the Bucks. I'm out on the Rams. And out means something different for those organizations than it means for others. Look, when you're out on the Jets, I know the Jets are having a good year. I'm not trying to pick on the Jets. Saying you're out on the Jets means, you know, they're going to pick in the top five. Saying you're out on the Texans this year means you think they got a shot at the first overall pick. But the Bucs and the Rams aren't judged by that metric. The Bucs and the Rams were built to win Super Bowls. And when I say I'm out, I'm not out on the potential that the Bucs could win a bad division. Who cares? They don't raise a banner for that, and Tom Brady isn't back destroying his life to try and get the opportunity to win a division. He's back here trying to win championships. And I'm out on the ability for the Rams or the Bucks to win the Super Bowl this year. So now what? I mean, if I'm right, If I'm right and they're done, what's next? You went all in. You tried to win right now. You tried to get the Super Bowl. You tried to make sure that you could get every opportunity while the window was open. I love the aggressiveness. I respect the aggressiveness. In fact, I praise the aggressiveness of the 49ers getting Christian McCaffrey for this exact reason. I praise the aggressiveness of the Eagles, not only for the way they handled the draft, but for the way they brought talent in around Jalen Hurts. When you're in your window, you take it. I praised just a few days ago the aggressiveness of the Dolphins. Trade a second and fifth all day long. Go get yourself a player that can help you right now. You are in your window. The problem is, what do you do when you hit the other side of that window? Or what do you do when the window slams shut before you ever thought it would? That's what's happening right now. Because realistically, the Bucs might win the South, but they're not any good. If you had to bet your your house, you know I use this analogy all the time, but it's the most honest. If I inject true serum in your veins and you walk up to the window and the person behind the window says, all right, sir, you must now place your bet. You have to. And you have to bet your house. If you had to bet your house today on the Buccaneers to win the Super Bowl, would you? If you had to bet everything you'll ever make in your life on the Rams to win the Super Bowl today, would you? Man, even if you're a fan of these teams, you know the answer to that. Like, even if you are the biggest diehard that ever existed, you've got the full Nick Carter Buccaneers tattoo on his arm. If you don't know, look it up. You've got the full Bucks garb going on. If you had to bet everything on the Bucks winning the Super Bowl this year, you know the answer is they won't. And that's not good enough. Like, you didn't, you didn't go out and get Brady for mediocrity. You didn't go out and get Brady to run the island of meh. And that's where you are. 
You're sitting here. If you're a Bucks fan, the reason you think your team still has a shot at the playoffs is because the Falcons are the best thing in your division at four. The Falcons. Because you're looking over there saying, don't worry, we're barely trailing Marcus Mariota and the Falcons. Give me that like you think that's good enough. Let's let's rewind. Let, let's go all the way back in time to January. And we'll sit down with everybody. All the way in our time machine, we go back to January. And I sit down and I say, Tom, you want to come back? Come back this year. Play in the NFL. And if you're lucky at midseason, you'll only trail the Falcons and Marcus Mariota by one game, buddy. What are we doing? I'm out. I'm out on them completely. And that makes this an elimination game. Because at some point, you run out of runway. I know this. I mean, uh, how often do we talk? I just told you there's only 12 teams in the NFL right now with a winning record. 12. There's only 12 teams out there that have actually got anything going for them. And right now, the Bucks three and five. I mean, they're right in the thick of things. They're only a couple games back of, of being relevant. Maybe, like, if you're Ryan Clark, ESPN NFL analyst, he thinks everything's going to come up roses. They'll all be fine, and we'll be singing Kumbaya. This is what he said on NFL Live. I expect Tom Brady to be able to fix it. I've seen it over and over again. Teams that Tom Brady is on evolve into what they have to be to find ways to win. If you go back to his first year, they became a two tight end team and they became a play action team that could push the football down the field. Last year, they were a team that were deep threats and deep shots because Tom Brady was one of the most accurate deep ball throwers in their entire league. And we had wide receivers that could get behind people. What are they going to be now? The thing I know is I trust them to get there. I trust Tom Brady. I trust Todd Bowles running this defense. And so of these two teams, I believe they have the roster to turn it around. And they also have people that have been a part of those sort of evolutions Mm -hmm. throughout seasons. I mean, I think if you're a Rams fan, you're sitting there saying, you ever heard of Aaron Donald? He seems like he's pretty good. I mean, the Rams just came off a Super Bowl. It's pretty, pretty easy for anybody to say, I trust. But this is the theme of the season. The biggest brands in the NFL are broken. Bill Belichick, Mike Tomlin, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. We've got a a Voltron full of brands here that we think are just going to suddenly come together and be mega robots and be back in the playoffs. That ain't this year. That ain't this NFL. Look at the body language. The thing that bothered me the most, I won't say bothered me, the thing that hit me the most watching the Buccaneers after Monday Night Football a couple of weeks ago, watch him walk off the field. Brady didn't look himself. He just looked defeated. If you watch Man in the Arena, the great ESPN Plus show about the trajectory of his career, I hosted a bunch of the after shows on that on ESPN Plus. And as I sat there and talked to panels every single episode, What continually stuck in my mind was that that was a Tom Brady that through the entire evolution of his life was resilient, willing to listen, willing to take any feedback anybody would give him, willing to grow, willing to, to absolutely do whatever it took. And that was a Tom Brady with so much energy. As they pointed out in his first Super Bowl, he was in the tunnel waiting to run out for the Super Bowl. And one of the other Patriots came up and grabbed him and said, stop. I don't need this version of you. You are too wired. You are too much. I need you to calm down and just be Tom Brady. Now, I need somebody to walk up to Brady and shake him and say, I don't know what this is. This isn't Tom Brady. 
This is too flat a version of Tom Brady. And what do you do when you build all this talent and you build all of these players together and you look around and you say, man, I thought we were going to be great. And instead, we're living squarely in the island of mediocrity. Maybe that's enough for a lot of teams in the NFL. But that's not enough for the last two Super Bowl champions who now have to look in the mirror and ask themselves, was it worth it? Because there could be a long run of irrelevance coming. Spain and Fitz coming up. We got a ton of picks to get into. You know what time it is. Radio challenge. We got games to pick. I'll tell you what the standings are, and we'll blow through a bunch of games to tell you what you should be looking for this weekend next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. I'm Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. Put my feet up on that. It's a fry, yeah, y'all. Like, we are having a good time. Feeling froggy getting into the holiday season. Getting ready to get my stretchy fat pants going on. Let's go. Been eating healthy for the last three months. Now I'm ready to hoss up on every one of the cookies that Christine Lisi puts in the hallway. I am just going straight like boss hogs just in there like a Hoover vacuum, sucking these things down, not even worried about whether or not my coworkers get any of them. Some Snickers peanut butter cookie today that I just, I made that thing my enemy in life and I destroyed it. Whew! That's where I am. Give me my sweatpants. Here we go. Uh, don't forget, tune into football action Sunday. The Jets host the Bills. Coverage begins at noon Eastern on select ESPN radio stations. Like, really, y'all, I know every, week, every day we sit here and tell you what's coming up on ESPN radio. Uh, I'm so proud that we work for this company because everything's covered all the time. And that means this weekend, like, literally everything's covered because we have college football, we have the NFL, and we have the World Series. So, basically, whatever you need, just come to ESPN Radio. They do a great job on the weekends and make sure you're caught up on it. If you listen to ESPN Radio across the course of the day, you know that we've been having a fun little battle picking some games. Oh, and there it goes. I I thought there was more to it. It was like, there we go. Voice of God says, you will not get more from me. By the way, like, how cool is that guy's life? I don't even know who that guy is. He just sits at home and somebody emails him and says, we need you to say Jason Fitz. And he does it in a cool way. He just gets in the mic and says, like, Jason And then all of a sudden it sounds good. All right. We're picking games. You know how this works. They tell us what three games it is every single week, and it's against the spread. The standings after week eight. Freddie and Fitzsimmons are obviously cheating. They're 14-9-1. and one. They're now a game ahead. They were behind, I think, and now they're a game ahead. I don't know. I think Ian's like insider trading or something. Basically, the next three shows are all, well, not basically. The next three shows are all tied. Greeny, Spain and Fitz, Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max are all tied at 13, 10, and 1. Barton Hahn at 11, 12, and 1. Y'all want to try Barton Hahn? Do you guys want to? Oh, oh, Freddie Coleman sitting in his head and saying he's not cheating. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. Oh, you know what? Somebody's giving somebody cash somewhere. And Kenny and Carlin aren't even trying. 10, 13, and 1. Do, do better, be better. Kenny and Carlin, what are we doing here? I heard Barton Hahn earlier say that y'all were catching up. I don't know who you think you're catching up to because you ain't ready for this mustard. Woo! All right, let's go. We got three games to go. Uh, I I haven't asked anybody what Freddie and Fitzsimmons picked, although we st- should start you know counterpicking. Maybe we'll start cheating later. Uh, let's go to the first game. Yeah, so it's funny to me because people have made this one. Rams at Bucks. The Bucks are a three-point favorite. People have made this really complicated because everybody loves Tom Brady, as we were just talking about. 
And I understand everybody loving Tom Brady. I also understand that maybe it hasn't been the easiest season. I think we can all agree on that so far uh, for the Rams. I, I'm not not taking anything away from the fact that both teams have had a slow start. It's just, man, I mean, we 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 do know that Aaron Donald's still in this game, right? Like, and we do know at some point that, you know, frankly, while the Rams are trying to figure some things out, the Bucks haven't been good. I got three points. Man, I'm going Rams. I'm going Rams in this one. Somebody will make a play. Somebody somewhere. That's the hope. You got to feel like it. this is an important one, by the way. As I mentioned earlier, an elimination game particularly because if you're the Rams, you still have the Chiefs on the schedule, the Seahawks who now look better than expected on the schedule. Seahawks twice, actually, and the Chargers uh, left on the schedule. We'll see if they can actually put it together. So uh, we'll see what this offense looks like. I think this is going to be an ugly, putrid, awful football game that we're only watching because of the brands. But that being said, I'm taking the Rams. All right, what's the next game? Oh, see, this is where they try and get you. They try and get you because it's not just Bills at Jets. It's Bills minus 11 and a half at the Jets. All right, that, for anybody that doesn't gamble, that means that the Bills have to win by 12 for me to get this game right. And 12 is a staggering number for an NFL game. We see it in college football all the time because college football has absolutely no parity. But 12 in an, in an NFL game is big. And we've seen this a few times. I mean, the, the Bills had a big number against the Packers. Here's the thing, though. I mean... The J-E-T-S suck, suck, suck. I don't care what their record is. They're not good. The Bills? Oh, the Bills. Chef's kiss. Like, this is this is basically saying I can take the Michelin star restaurant versus, you know, the street meat in New York that probably the guy didn't wash his hands. That's, that's what this one is. I like the Bills. I like the points. I'll take Buffalo, even with the 11 and a half. People think I've lost my mind around here. Sarah's not even here to keep me accountable on it. Usually, either one of us has to pick, and then the other turns around and says, no, you can't do that, but not this time. Uh, the, the Dolphins, favored by five in Chicago. Chicago's interesting to me. I said this on the ESPN Radio sport beat, Sports Beat this week. The Bears get rid of Roquan, which makes you think that the Bears are absolutely out, right? So then you turn around and say, well, if the Bears are out on Roquan, why are the Bears out there getting Chase Claypool? Well, here's what I think. I think the Bears understand fully that they are in absolute re- rebuild mode. But what they don't know yet is do they have their quarterback. So they're going to take the last half of the season to figure out if Justin Fields can be the guy. In order to do that, you're going to have to put better weapons around him. So you get Chase Claypool right now in order to figure out if Fields can be your guy. Because if Fields doesn't play better for the back half of the season... There is no way in my mind that the Bears don't draft a quarterback in this year's draft. That being said, the Dolphins are going to win this football game. It's Dolphins minus five. That's a that's a hefty number, but the Dolphins, here's your, your random stat that nobody really cares about, but I'll give you. The Dolphins, in the wonderful metric of yards of separation, and I don't really know like if somebody's out there flying a drone around or whatever, yards of separation per attempt. The Dolphins, two starting wide receivers, are not only number one and two in the category of yards of separation, they're averaging almost double the league average in yards of separation per attempt. What does that tell you? That tells you that the Dolphins' two best weapons are wide open. They're they're Dixie Chicks into the straight wide open. They're going for it. Like, they are unstoppable. All Tua has to do is heave it up, underthrow it probably, but it's still going to be completed. So I think the Dolphins absolutely – the Dolphins are going to run the Bears out of this. So let me get this right. You're picking against two home dogs? Yes, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel comfortable about it's that. Risky. No, well, here's the thing. Um, I those two teams stink. So like, <laughs> oh, unfortunately. Now look, we always take those three games. Those are the only three games that count for the standings. Um, that being said. Uh, we also uh, like to give you a little bonus action, and we get the bonus action in the form of my favorite team. The Raiders are a two-point favorite against Jacksonville. Let me just, you know what? I, hmm, last Sunday was a Snickers in a punch bowl, all right? It was a Snickers in a punch bowl. I walked into that thing, and y'all know what I mean by that. I, I walked into that game so confident that I put my feet up on my coffee table I turned the TV on. I sat down. Annabelle, my dog, laid down. She put her she put her head on her lap, and I looked down. I scratched her little precious, perfect chin, and I said, you know what, Annabelle? We're going to have a good day. By the third quarter, I was doom-scrolling the Internet trying to figure out what I've done wrong with my life. Right? I was very confident about the Raiders against the Texans last week, or the Saints last week, I should say, and I was very, very wrong. But the confidence is back! Oh, Here's all, all the all the Jags do is find ways to lose, creative ways to lose. Now I am a little scared. I'm a little I'm a little in my feelings on this one because last time I checked, ETN is not that dissimilar than Kamara. And last week the Raiders really made a conscious decision not to even try and cover Kamara. So I, I feel like ETN could go off. And Trevor Lawrence is somebody I really really believe in. I have a hard time believing that Devonte Adams and Derek Carr will have anywhere near the game that they had last week. If if the Raiders absolutely come out, they're flat and atrocious against the Jags on Sunday, then this is the beginning of the end of Derek Carr as a, as a Las Vegas Raider. I believe that fully. I also believe that everybody knows that. And they will absolutely come out with the thunder of the gods. The Raiders are going to win this football game just to get them just good enough to give me hope, which is the worst part of being a football fan. You either want to be all in or all out, and the Raiders won't let me do that. They don't care about my feelings. Wow, the laugh afterwards every time hurts. All right, coming up, we're gonna get. Will we get a game seven in Houston this Sunday? We'll figure it out next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel Eighty, presented by Progressive Insurance. I'm Jason Fitz, flying solo tonight on this Friday edition of the show. We've broken down, I think, everything we could possibly ask in the world of the NFL and the world of college football. And, you know, I almost laugh when I say that out loud because amazingly, thanks to rain and scheduling and everything else that we've gotten, we barely had a chance to talk about the fact that, I don't know, Game 6 of the World Series is coming up. Obviously, every pitch of the World Series is here for you on ESPN Radio, has been throughout, and uh, we're going to get some breakdown on it. To do that, we talk with ESPN Major League Baseball analyst Xavier Scruggs. Uh, Xavier, thanks for the time, man. I really appreciate appreciate you hanging out with me. Give me your perspective. Hey, no you're the expert here. No problem at all. Like, <laughs> no problem at all. I appreciate you having me, man. 100%. Like, I'm trying to figure out how you go from hitting five home runs in one game to getting getting no hit the next game and and where that that line crosses. What did you see there that made that happen? Yeah, I think the the biggest thing is um you know Christian Javier came in with a good plan and uh, I think taking advantage of some of the swing and miss in the Phillies lineup is extremely important, and you have to be on. And, and Christian Javier was on, as well as the other guys that came out of the Houston Astros bullpen. 
Um, but the biggest thing is is not making mistakes. And we saw some mistakes that were made uh, in game one of, of the Houston Astros by starter Justin Verlander. So figuring out kind of how those guys – will approach you moving forward when it comes to the Phillies hitters is what Houston Astros have done over the last couple of games. And they haven't made those mistakes and their bullpen has been really good um, all the way through the, this, uh, this world series. So where's the line when you're looking at a series like this, because you've got two teams that are getting to know each other so well, how do you find the balance between just doing what you do well and also understanding the tendencies that they're starting to show you and trying to veer what you do into what their, their, their weaknesses are? Yeah, I, I think that's a good point because, you know, you come into these games with so much analytics, so so many statistics and, and scouting reports. Ultimately, a lot of that stuff kind of gets thrown out the window because once you start seeing a team so many times, it's more about kind of outthinking the other person and, and trying to figure out, okay, not so much about the weakness anymore. What are they trying to do that's different to give a, a wrinkle into the game plan? And I think that's something uh, that's starting to get figured out here by Houston Astros. And, and remember, the Houston Astros are such a consistent team all throughout the um, the regular season. Uh, once you get into it, uh, an opportunity to play a team over and over again, usually the, the team that's had the most success finds a way to figure out the other team. So I think that's what we're seeing from the Houston Astros side. But to, to the Philly side, you got to think about how much energy and, and how much the atmosphere and how much getting going at the right time has kind of fell on their side, um, you know, all the way to get them to this point. And, and now they've won a couple of games in the World Series. They're hoping to continue to feed off of that momentum um, going into game set six and hopefully for them in the game seven. So how do you get momentum back when you've lost it in a series like this? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is is jumping on who will be, you know, arguably the most consistent pitcher all season, Framber Valdez. You have to jump on him early in game six. It has to be something like we saw against Justin Verlander in game one. It's got to be more of a balanced approach. Uh, ready to hit early, get, uh, be attacking strikes and mistakes as soon as possible, um, and really trying to pass the baton. It's kind of cliche, but really it has to be from the first guy to the very last guy. There has to be more production um, from the six, seven, eight, nine hitters of the Phillies in order for them to have an opportunity in game six. Um, it, the Houston Astros have already shown they're not going to pitch to Bryce Harper, right? They're, if they pitch to him, they're going to pitch to him tough. They're going to stay away from the middle of the plate. They're not going to give him any opportunity to really drive another baseball to, to the outfield. So it has to be guys behind him that provide protection. And, and most most recently, Castellanos, Nick Castellanos, and Alec Bohm. They have to find a way to step up in game six or else there's not going to be much offense um, by the Phillies in this game. Well, and you mentioned Bryce. How difficult is it to have some level of patience when you know that you got to wait for the right opportunity, but also your team's desperate and they need your bat right now? Yeah, he, he's got to be as locked in as as he's been. He, he's kind of, uh, especially last game, last couple games, swinging a little bit out of the zone because he is trying to be aggressive. He knows he may only receive one pitch 
Um, so he's got to be that much more focused, right? But at the same time, he has to trust the guys behind him and understand if he gets on base, um, that's going to be great opportunities for the next guys moving forward. They just have to find ways to cash in. So for Bryce, um, it's a situation where you may only get one pitch and you got to be ready to hit it. And he's shown to be able to do that in the past. So that's not anything new to him. Um, but if the, but knowing the Houston Astros and what they've done extremely well all postseason, um, they're going to try to stay away from the one guy that's most dangerous in that lineup. We're talking to Xavier Scruggs, uh, ESPN Major League Baseball analyst on Spain and Fitz, Jason Fitz flying solo. Uh, adrenaline is something that is always interesting to me in these situations because you got two sides of it in this game. You've got a team that's trying to stay alive desperately and a team that's trying to win a series. So when you're talking about the World Series and it's this game or we don't get another one, who in your mind has a better shot at controlling the adrenaline? Yeah, I mean, I, I look at um, I look at the Houston Astros because of the experience, right? They've been there. Um, you know, sometimes we talk about how important experience is, but in this case, you think about it, they've already they've already done most of the hard work, right? They've won two out of three in Philadelphia. Now it's you have two games to win at least one. Um, you, you should be able to control that because of a, of a Framber Valdez who's been on the mound. This is a guy that went 25 uh, straight consecutive starts, uh, quality starts. So you have arguably your best postseason pitcher right now on the mound. It's going to be important for him to be able to calm the bats down and and remember that you're in the driver's seat. Dusty Baker is going to be preaching that to them, uh, I'm sure, today, day off, and then even tomorrow before the game. Hey, we are in the driver's seat. If there's anyone that has pressure on them, it's going to be the Phillies, and they're the ones that are going to have to kind of control that and figure out how to control the emotions because they'll be hanging on every single pitch can cost them the, the World Series. So that's where that adrenaline and that control is going to be a little bit tougher because they'll live and die with every pitch. What so far in this series has really stood out to you as something you didn't expect? Yeah, I, I think, uh, first of all, that's a great question um, because I think when we talk about the World Series, we always talk about like the big moments, but I think we have to we have to talk about the players that have really risen to the stage. And I look at Jeremy Pena, the athleticism of this kid, a rookie, came in, had already hit 22 home runs during the regular season. But I, but I feel like he might be the most athletic player we have on the World Series stage right now because of the defense. He's already won a gold glove. I look at his ability to stay calm and relaxed in the biggest of situations. We saw the, the three hits last last night the big home runs we've already seen him in the postseason and then when he's coming around 30 he's giving you the Michael Jordan shrug like he like he's <laughs> been in this situation for 20 years like he's a 20-year vet so I think seeing the physicality of him but then also the mental maturity of someone who has taken Carlos Correa's position at shortstop and has excelled beyond anyone's expectation so what do you think do we get a game seven I don't think we get a game seven. I, and I, I'll keep saying it, right? Framber Valdez has been probably the most important piece to this Houston Astros team all season. Yes, Justin Verlander was is probably going to win the Cy Young, but I still look at Framber Valdez. When you look at predictability and what you should get every single time out, um, he's provided that, and he's given them a chance to win every single start 
um, that he's pitched in this season and into the postseason. He was dominant in in game two as well. I don't think we expect anything less um, from somebody who's gone out there and shoved almost every single time out. Uh, it's going to be tough for the Phillies to to really hit the lefty because their their best hitter. It, it, their best two hitters from the from a mo- biggest power standpoint is Bryce Harper and, and Kyle Schwarber, and I think he already equalizes both of them. So it's going to be tough for the Phillies hitters. Man, I really appreciate your great information. Thanks so much for hanging out with me and making us all smarter, Xavier. I appreciate you, Fitz. Talk to you soon. That's Xavier Scruggs, ESPN Major League Baseball analyst, uh, doing great work and getting you set for the World Series. Don't forget, the World Series is here for you on ESPN Radio. In the meantime, uh, by the way, ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Saving you bundle your motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance. Visit Progressive.com. We have breaking news in the last couple of minutes about Kyrie Irving. We will get it to you next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Little disappointed there was no Christmas music tonight in the show, but that's okay. It's fine. Don't at me about it either. I've got my Christmas music going. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. I'm Jason Fitz. Think about this. It's halftime of a game. What do you do at halftime at the football game? Like when you're watching a game with your buddies at halftime, you might go grab a drink of some sort. You have a little bit of food. You talk to your friends and your family, right? Like you drink, you eat, you talk to your friends and family. That's what you do at halftime of a football game. What do you do for Thanksgiving? You drink, you eat, and you talk to your friends and family. Thanksgiving is halftime of the Christmas season. So I'm fully kicked off. Mariah Carey's getting me through every single day. Can't uh, can't at me otherwise. I uh, wanted to get you guys updated. We have uh, news as the uh, there are always going to be tentacles to every single statement. When you are a brand as a personality, there will be tentacles. Uh, there is another tentacle in the Kyrie Irving situation as it is breaking. Darren Ravel has tweeted out, Nike has suspended its relationship with Kyrie Irving. Their statement reads, at Nike, we believe there is no place for hate speech and we condemn any form of anti-Semitism. To that end, we've made the decision to suspend our relationship with Kyrie Irving effective immediately and we will no longer launch the Kyrie 8. We are deeply saddened and disappointed by this situation and its impact on everyone. This speaks to the platform that Kyrie has. It speaks to the power that his words have. And it speaks to every company's decision to make, every fan's decision to make, every team's decision to make. I said it earlier, and I'm never going to pretend this stuff is easy. Like, like, look, I, I wear my fandom on my sleeve. I think the thing that maybe separates me from every other person that works at ESPN is that I make no bones about the fact I do what I do because I love my team. I left my other career because I wanted to find a way to talk about sports because I love sports that much because I love my team, right? How many times have we tried to have really cut and dry, line-in-the-sand conversations about the actions of so many people? And it's tough to do when you're a fan. It is. It's tough to do when you look in your closet and you see a whole closet full of Nets gear. And you want to be able to say, man, I don't want to have to even deal with that. But now you do, right? Like now you don't have a choice. But ultimately, when you think about words and action, we hear this so often, especially right now in deeper conversations in sports that I'm not going to get into. You hear a lot about freedom of speech. Well, Kyrie has the right to say what he wants to say. But then companies, fans, and teams have the right to react to that. That's what makes all of this difficult for fans. It's the same thing that I said and will continue to say. I cannot imagine what it feels like to be a Cleveland Browns fan. 
and know that you're going to have to make a difficult decision on what to do. I, I don't think any of this is cut and dry. When your favorite team has somebody on it that's going through things that are make it easy to root against them, that doesn't mean you suddenly throw your fandom away. I get it. But from a business standpoint, right now, what you're seeing is just another piece of the puzzle for Kyrie. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Looking for a career you'll love with flexibility, great pay and benefits, and one of the country's top workplaces? Come join their growing team. Go to Progressive.com slash careers and apply online today. It's interesting because Kyrie was insistent from the outset that at first that he was just popping things out there. And then it was, I don't really have a platform. You guys make things bigger. And then it was, I'm lucky to have a platform. Well, action has consequence. And at some point, every company has the opportunity to look at action and say, what do we think the appropriate consequence is for our working relationship? I'm ever the capitalist. You guys know that. I want everybody out there to get rich. But I also want everybody out there, from fans to companies, to take ownership of what they're willing to support. If you don't like what your favorite owner stands for, don't watch the team. Instead of sitting there yelling at your favorite team that they should be required to sell, stop giving them your money. If you think a player shouldn't be supported, stop watching his games. Don't buy his jerseys, her jerseys, either or. The thing is, like, we love to yell. We love to scream. But the only currency that matters for most people in the world is money. And this is yet another example. On the heels of the Nets deciding that the right thing to do was to suspend Kyrie, which is going to cost him roughly $2 million, he's now going to have to figure out how to live without the income that Nike would have given him because action has consequence. The other side of it, though, is we live in an incredibly forgiving society. And what's interesting is if you're willing to stand up and say, man, I didn't handle this right. I didn't do this well. I need to be better. I want to learn from it. It's alarming how quickly we as a world are eager and anxious to take that person back in. We, we're thirsty to forgive constantly, not because we want actual forgiveness, but if we really want to be deep, it's because you want to make it easy to go back to just worrying about your favorite team and whether they win on the court. None of it's that simple. It hasn't been that simple for the Nets for years. I'll never forget a few months ago, I was talking to an athlete that plays for a very prominent organization that things don't always go well with. And I said, man, what a wild year last year. And he said, last year? It's been wild every year I've ever been here. It's exhausting. I think about that because it has to be exhausting for everybody involved with the Nets organization to know that it's never just about basketball. And part of the reason is, is just the decisions that each individual makes. Kyrie wants the ability to go out and say what he wants to say, how he wants to say it. I certainly can't stop him. You can't stop him. Nobody can stop him. But action has consequence. And that consequence has come in the form of a suspension. And that consequence comes in the form of a suspension of his relationship with Nike. Comes in the form of making less money. But remember one thing, what we told you earlier this, uh, in this show. It's a great article right now out on ESPN.com from Ramona Shelburne and Adrian Wojnarowski, breaking down the hows and the whys of the decision to suspend. And the number one thing that the Nets stressed in that decision was they took their time to suspend him 
because they wanted the opportunity to talk to him and educate him. You can take money from Kyrie all day. You can take platform from Kyrie all day. You can take away his ability to play basketball if that's what you choose to do. If you're the Nets, you can choose not to employ him. If you're Nike, you can choose not to be in business with him. All of that is a tremendous consequence. But does that tremendous consequence equal change? The other question we're going to have to answer at some point is what is anybody going to do to get through, not just to Kyrie, but everybody that's using their platform and not understanding the way that their words can hurt, not understanding the way their words can impact. It's one of the tough things through this process is that oftentimes once you've reached a certain level of celebrity, whether you're Kyrie or whether you're Taylor Swift, once you've reached a certain level of celebrity, your voice has power and you don't always have the expertise to back that power up. I've always been transparent with you about what I do or don't know. I've always been transparent with you about what I think I need to learn more about. And I've tried to, over the process of my time in front of a microphone, to always be real about growth. I wonder what sort of power Kyrie's words could have if he chose to be equally transparent about what he's done wrong, about what he's learned in the process, and most importantly, about what he's going to do differently. Because if the answer to all of that is nothing, that he's just going to continue to keep running it back, if that's the real answer, then none of this is ever going to stop and it'll be an endless cycle. The only way to stop the cycle isn't just to find him. It isn't just to suspend him. It isn't just to try and ban him or whatever you want to say. Part of the process is to actually try and figure out how to reach him. I don't have the answer to that. I'm not sure many people do, but until we as a society find those answers, we just keep doing more of this. Freddie and Fitzsimmons is going to be coming up next. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.